This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 2. And tonight we're going to look at getting understanding. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. So we're supposed to look for understanding while we're getting our wisdom, and you really can't have wisdom without understanding. In James 1, 5, it says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. So if we want to get wisdom, we should be asking God for it, but we should also, in the same time, be looking for understanding. Most of us would like to have wisdom. Uh, and these two passages tell us that wisdom is the principal thing. Uh, that was one of uh, the great things about Solomon. I mean, he had his faults. But one of the great things, when God said, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon had the good sense to say, give me wisdom. And he was renowned worldwide for his wisdom. So we need to ask God for wisdom, and he'll give it to us. There are conditions, but he will give it to us. Uh, and I would like to look, though, tonight at the companion word that's often found with uh, wisdom, and it's understanding. Because, as I said, you really can't have wisdom if you don't understand. There are two things that are required if we're going to have wisdom. One of them is knowledge, because wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So if we don't have knowledge, we cannot have wisdom. Another thing is we have to understand what we know. There are a lot of people that know things that don't understand anything about what they know. Here in uh, Proverbs chapter 2, in starting in verse 1, it says, My son, if thou wilt receive my words, and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou shalt incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart to understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and lifted up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as hid treasures, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. That word understanding shows up about four, three or four times in that short passage of Scripture. And we need to seek after understanding. In order to, f to find that understanding and that wisdom, we must ha follow certain conditions. The first one we see here is that you need to receive the words of a godly father. Now, if you happen to have been raised in a home where you didn't have a godly father, uh, you still should listen to your father. You, you know, sometimes we forget. Nobody except God cares more about us than our parents. We need to receive the words of a godly father and follow his commandments. My father, when I was growing up, used to have a statement. He says, don't do as I do, do as I say. And uh, well, my dad smoked and he reinvented the English language you know, you have to have a subject and a predicate in a sentence. With my God, you had to have, a or my dad, you had to have a subject, a predicate, and a cuss word. Fortunately, we didn't follow his example. We followed what he told us. Of course, our backside had something to do with that too. 
but uh, but we need to follow the commandments of a godly father. You need to understand that it takes effort on our part. Understanding and wisdom don't just fall out of the sky and dump into your head and they're there. It does not work that way. Uh, it, we, we have to incline our ear. That means we need to listen with an open mind and paying real attention. Have you ever been talking to somebody, and I know you have, and you're talking to them and they're sitting there going like this and they have the foggiest idea what you said because their mind is four miles away? We can't do that if we want to have understanding. We need to make understanding our heart's desire. It has to be something that we desire, something that we want, something we're willing to work for. We need to lift up our, uh, or cry out our voice for, for uh, knowledge. Don't quit until you have it. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And there are a whole lot of Christians out there that go around talking about faith all the time and they have no idea what the Word of God says. You need to know what God says if you're going to have faith in God. Because how can you trust Him to do something if you don't know what He said He'd do? You need to lift up your voice for understanding. In James, it tells us where to ask for it. And it says He'll give it to us. Uh, if you have a godly father, that's the starting point. You know, I've had so many people indicate that our order of things is this. God, church, family. That's not right. Our order of things is God first, always. Second ministry we have is our family. Then comes church in our, in our service for God in other areas. If we can't keep our family together, we can't keep any other ministry together. Also, ask your pastor. That's why God gives pastors. Pastor is a shepherd. His primary job is feeding the sheep and caring for the sheep. Some people seem to think his primary job is evangelism and reaching the lost. It's not. He should be doing that, but that's not his primary job. So you go to your pastor and you seek his counsel when you have questions and when you want to understand something. I'll make the search important in your life. It's not something, well, you know, if I have time. It's something you should be doing all the time. We, we talk about, a lot of times, reading the Word of God. And that's very important. But you know the Bible doesn't tell you to read it. It tells you to study it. And it tells you to meditate on it. Now, if you're going to study it, obviously you're going to read it. If you're going to meditate on it, you're going to have to know what it says, or you're going to have to read it. But, but the point that I'm getting at is we put the emphasis on the reading, and we, we say, well, let's read through our Bibles in a year. Well, if you start on January 1st and you read four chapters a day, you will finish reading your Bible sometime in November. But you won't know what you read. Because you will have said, oh, okay, I've got to get through my four chapters today. And that will be your goal instead of understanding what's there. You have to, to seek after it as silver. Like you were looking for silver. Like it was a treasure hunt. I mean, I've got a... a, a metal detector and one of these days because we live in a civil war area area i'd like to go out there in my field and see if i've got any civil war relics but that's the way we should seek after wisdom and understanding you need to seek for it as if all of a sudden you had found a map to the treasure of Monte Cristo. I don't know if you've seen the or know the story of the Count of Monte Cristo, but he was unjustly put in prison, and while he was in there, this guy gave him the location of this treasure that the wealth there was just beyond our imagination, and he used it wrongly at first, 
but he ended up using it correctly. But the point I'm making is we need to seek it like it was a pirate's treasure that we were looking for. When you seek understanding, then you will understand the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is something that's missing in Christianity today. We're not to fear him like some mean ogre that's standing around ready to beat us over the stick, the head of the stick the first time we step out of line. That's not the way we're supposed to fear God. We're supposed to fear God in the fact that we're afraid we might do something that, that breaks his heart, that hurts him. Live a life that's not glorifying to him. This type of thing. That's what it means to fear the Lord. And you will also find the knowledge of God. And what greater knowledge is that? As I said uh, uh, last week, God is omniscient. That makes him the ultimate scientist because science means knowledge and he knows everything. When we lack knowledge, especially the knowledge of God, it results in controversy. In Hosea chapter 4 and verse 1 it says, Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel, for the Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. But controversy is an adversarial relationship. And who wants to be the adversary of God? And so we need to, to realize that if we don't have God's knowledge or the knowledge of God, we're going to be in a controversy with God. The truth of God has been turned into a lie in America today. And that's what the Bible says it'll be in the last days. But the point is there's no truth. People say today, well, that's your truth. No, that's not my truth. Either it's truth or it is not truth. There is no other way. Many Christians don't even know who their God is. I would challenge you to get out a piece of paper and write down a description of the God you believe in. Then go to the scriptures and see if the God in the scriptures is the same God that you wrote down. For most people it would not be, even those who profess to be Christians. But we take the verses, there's two of them, and they're eight verses apart in, in uh, the Bible that say God is love. And so we say, God, oh, he's a loving God. He wouldn't do anything to hurt you. That's not the kind of love our God has. God is love. But he's first of all holy. And holiness requires the punishment of infractions. We must apply ourselves to get this knowledge. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 10 and verse 5, it says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. An imagination is the power or the faculty of the mind where we form ideas. You need to realize that before somebody could make an airplane, first they had to imagine the airplane. And we're to cast down all of every imagination and every high thing that puts itself above God. Now, what kind of an imagination would that be? Well, that we descended from some sort of an ape. That's a high, supposedly scientific thought that puts down God. So we're to cast that down, get rid of it. My wife was in for an eye exam, and while she was in, they were doing all these tests on her. I'm sitting out there, and about this big is a drawing of an eyeball cut in half 
and it's got all the parts written down in there. To get it all on there, they had to get it down so that I couldn't read it. So small. And somebody tells me that happened by accident. That's anti-God. There has to be a designer behind the eye. Or, I mean, all the parts are necessary. Uh, but those are the high things and the attitudes, and they oppose uh, the knowledge of God. They oppose God, and we're to cast them down, put them down, get them out of the way, put them out of our minds. This implies a conscious effort on our part. We have to stop and think about these things. We are to bring our thoughts into submission to Christ. And as I said last week, we have the mind of Christ. It's right here. It's this book. So we should bring our thoughts under the submission to the thoughts as they're expressed in this book. When we have the knowledge of God, it gives us peace. It gives us grace. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ our Lord. We live in a world of turmoil today. I mean, I'm, I'm 81 years old. I've seen this world change a whole lot in 81 years. I've never seen anything as bad as it is today. But I can have peace in my heart because I know who's in control. I know that God is in control. I know I don't have to worry about things because he already has them taken care of. But this only comes when we know who God is and who our Lord Jesus Christ is. And know that he is able. Nothing that this world can do. I mean, I get a kick out of these environmentalists, and I think we should take care of our environment, okay? I mean, this is the place God's given us to live. We should take good care of it, just like we should be good stewards of everything that God gives us. But the environmentalists who think that we puny men can destroy this earth that he made, he made. No, we can't. He's bigger than all of that. And it can't be done. So it gives us grace and peace when we have the knowledge of who our God is. We're to understand the fear of the Lord. The more we know about God, the more we will understand why we should fear Him. And like I say, it's a, it's a respectful fear, not a boogeyman fear. But we should fear Him because there's no place to hide from Him. Where can you go and hide from God? He's everywhere present. We should fear Him because he is a God of justice. See, we talk about his love, but we don't talk about his justice. You do something wrong. I mean, I see these people that seem to get away with, well, murder. We, we use that term to mean they get away with bad stuff, but some of them actually get away with murder. No, they don't. Justice is coming, and God will punish. We should fear him because his wrath will be poured out against all unrighteousness. Read Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. And it explains that very well. I don't have time to go into it tonight. So what is the fear of the Lord? I've got several verses of Scripture here that, that explain what the fear of the Lord is. There are some more I probably could have added, but I thought these were the most important ones. In uh, Psalms 111, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all uh, they that do His uh, commandments. His praise endureth forever. But... The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In uh, Proverbs uh, 1.7 it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You know, I remember when I was, from the youngest ages that I can remember, 
I remember how much I used to enjoy sitting there and listening to the older people as they talked. And they were telling their stories and telling things they had done and telling the experiences that they had. Because I was being instructed by those people. I was learning what to do and what not to do from first-hand experience of people who'd been further down the trail than I had been. And I learned a lot from them. It kept me from making their mistakes. I made enough of my own. We should not despise instruction because that's how we, uh, that's how we grow. And we need to, to realize that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But this one, uh, Proverbs 8, 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Then it lists them, and I think in a very important order. Pride, arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth do I hate. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Then he lists pride as number one, he puts there. And we all struggle with that one. There's not a person that doesn't struggle with this idea of pride. And arrogancy, that's thinking that we are so good. We're up here. Everybody else is down here. That's what arrogancy is. The evil way. Evil, by the way, does not necessarily mean bad. What it means is destructive. So it's a destructive way. And a forward mouth. A forward mouth is a mouth that, uh, well, you know what we mean when we say, well, they're a mouthy person? It means they're always shooting off at the mouth or something like that. That's what forward means in a bad way. It means always uh, speaking out against things and thinking that. But anyway, it's, God says that he hates those things. But that's the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, hate those things. Proverbs 14:26, and I like this one. In the fear of the Lord is a strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. When we have a fear of God, the proper kind of a fear of God, it gives us confidence because we are doing our best not to offend God, and therefore we have confidence that he will take care of us through everything. I always, when I think about this type of thing, I always think about a man named Polycarp, way back in the early years of Christianity, who was burned at the stake. He was about my age when he was burned at the stake. His disciples had heard that God took away the pain in those circumstances. So they said to Polycarp before he was burned, they said, if that's true, if the pain is taken away, lift your hand up so we'll know it's true. So the flame started licking away at Polycarp, and he should have been in excruciating pain, and said he did this. See, God took away the pain. I don't have to worry about what man can do to me. God's going to give me the grace to get through it. Even if it's torture, which I hope it isn't, but even if it is. And here's the last one. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life depart, uh, to depart from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord brings us to the knowledge of Christ and brings us to salvation by grace, through faith, without works. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen when I die. And by the way, the Bible doesn't teach salvation as an escape from hell. The Bible doesn't teach salvation as a trip to heaven. The Bible teaches salvation as the pardon of a holy, righteous God. We do escape hell. We do get to go to heaven. But that's not the way the Bible presents it. The Bible presents it as as being forgiven because we have come, sh come short of what God planned for us to be, and we deserve His wrath. And then there's the results 
of, of uh, fearing God, which is often this understanding that I'm talking about. I didn't realize until I got to this point that I'm talking about finding understanding and I'm talking about the fear of the Lord. But that's where you're going to find the understanding. It says, And wisdom and knowledge shall be the stability of thy times, and strength of salvation, the fear of the Lord, is his treasure. Okay, wisdom and knowledge bring stability to society. America was a stable nation when we feared God. America is in turmoil since we've turned our backs on God. It's, it's, it's visible all around us. By the way, it's true of the rest of the world. America is not unique. We're a special country. I still think we're the greatest country on the face of this earth. But the other nations have the same problems and, the sa and some of the same blessings that we do. The fear of the Lord's in the hearts of God's people is a treasure to God. It's of great value to Him. We need to, to, to realize that we need to make an effort to understand the things of God so we can have proper wisdom in the way we live our lives and our lives can be pleasing to God. The reason it is so hard today to reach the lost world is because the majority of those people who claim to be Christians live just like the lost world. And they don't see anything different, anything special in us. I remember a guy that I worked with, a Russian guy I worked with years ago in Denver, Colorado. <clears throat> and it was lunchtime, and I was sitting on the, we were couriers for a bank, and I was sitting in the back of my truck tailgate there, and he walks up and he says, he says, Pierre, why are you so faithful to God the way he treats you? And I shook my head and said, what are you talking about? He says, I think he treats me pretty good. Uh, I said, your truck's always breaking down and you never have much money or anything like that. I said, I said, I said, wait a minute. You're right, my truck does break down. And when it does, I get to use my baby's brother's truck and he's the boss. Working for my baby, I get to use his truck. So I got a truck to use. And as far as money, I have all the money that I need. Not all that I would like to have maybe, but all the money that I need. God has provided everything I need. I mean, we have things that a lot of people will never have. And some of our antiques that we have, that God's allowed us to have, and most of them we haven't paid a dime for. God has given me much more than I need. But the point that I want to get out, uh, get, get at is this guy, it wasn't that I have all these things, but I wanted to get this point out as he realized that I was serving God because of the way I lived my life. Now, I did talk with him, and we had an interesting conversation, and most of you have heard this before, but I'll, we've got one person here tonight who hasn't, so I'll tell it anyway. Is after that conversation, he says, oh, by the way, there is no God. He was a professed atheist. He was a Jew from Russia, and he was a professed atheist. And so we started walking down to get our next load of stuff to carry out. And he says, you know something, Pierre? He said, God has not been fair to the Jews. So wait a minute, Mike, you can't have it both ways. Either there is no God, or God hasn't been fair to the Jews. By the way, for your information, the conversation ended there, because he didn't have an answer to that one. <laughs> but I've never met an atheist. I really never have. This is a rabbit trail. You know, there's a lack of understanding in God's people today. Some things that I've heard in a very good Baptist church, probably one of the best Baptist churches in this area was when my wife asked this lady if the guy that her 
uh, daughter had married was a Christian. She says, oh, I don't know. He's a Catholic. Catholics aren't Christians. They might call themselves that, but they're not. And if you don't like me naming names, then you don't like Paul and you don't like Jesus because he named names. They named names. Another woman in our church, a very faithful woman in that church, uh, told her grandson that when his father died that he was now an angel. That's not scriptural. And things like this that I see in, in churches where the Word of God is taught. They don't have an understanding. And because of this lack of understanding, uh, there's a lack of understanding in the lost world. Since we don't understand it, how can we ex expect the world to understand it? Getting and understanding requires work on our part. We have to work at it. We are to incline our ear to wisdom and apply our heart to understanding. Then we will find the knowledge of God and understand the fear of God and what it really means. There's uh, an initial fear of God that comes from knowledge and wisdom that teaches us to seek after him and seek his mercy because we understand that he deserves or we deserve hell. We really do. Uh, but the more about him and the more we understand him, the more that fear changes into a respectful fear. A fear that is is not so much a fear of his punishment, but a fear of offending him, of breaking his heart, of hurting him. When a person gets, gets saved, it changes them. The Bible says that if we're in Christ, that is if we're saved, we're a new creature. It says old things are passed away, behold all things are become new. Our lives change. We don't live like we used to live. We don't do what we used to do. We don't talk like we used to talk. Now there's a growth period. We just had little Carter that just was reeled out of here. Guess he was getting a little fussy. Wasn't bothering me, but he's getting a little fussy. But little Carter, I, he's got a lot of things to learn. A new Christian is just like Carter. He's a baby. And he needs to grow. He needs to be in a church where doctrine is taught, where how to live our lives is taught, things so that he can grow. Um, when our lives are right, then we have a testimony for God before the world. When they don't change, they say, well, what have you got that I need? You know, we need to realize that if we want stability in our times, we're going to have to get back to fearing God. Our pulpits are going to have to get back to preaching righteousness. And when we do, we will see people starting to get saved. And until we do, it'll be a meager harvest. You see, the Christians living a godly life is the fertilizer that's put on the seed the word of God when it's spread. It's like the fertilizer. The seed is spread and they look around and say, well, that person's a Christian. Yeah, I can see how it's affected him. That one's, a, you know. And when they look around, they say, well, that's a Christian. They don't look, they're no different than me. There's no fertilizer. So we are the fertilizer that makes the seed grow. And we need to realize that God gives the increase. It's his ministry, it's not ours. And he's the one that reaches them. We need to realize those things, but we need to get an understanding of the things of God. 
not just a knowledge of them, but an understanding. What does this mean? You know, um, let me see if I can think of an example to close with here. Um, you know, uh, okay, we believe Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. What does that mean? Why is it important? It's important because sin is passed down in the blood of the Father. If Jesus had a human father, he would be a sinner himself and not able to offer his perfect life as a payment for our sin. That's why it's important. You see, that's, that's what I'm talking about, understanding. We, we believe things, but why? Why? Uh, if, if, uh, if my Mormon cousin was to come in here and, do, and argue with you over whether or not we, be, we could become gods, and they can do a pretty good job of arguing that, which they believe we can, could you answer them? Or if a Jehovah's Witness comes in here and says, Jesus wasn't God, by the way, could you show them that their Bible says he was? Things like this. These are things that are important. That's why we have to have this understanding. Be the kind of Christians that we ought to be because we understand what you expect of us. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.